Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Daniel Prisbilko. There's a lot to think about today in the world, isn't there? And, uh, you know, what do we make of the increasing number uh, of unprecedented events, you know, natural disasters, etc.? <clears throat> can, can it all be put down to climate change? Uh, do we get fearful when we think about all these different things? Are, are there sinister things even going on in the world? Some of us may only be concerned about the rising price of petrol, and, you know, the extra $10, $20 that you put in your tank every time you fill up. I see some of you smiling. It's, it's, it's you know, <clears throat> hitting our pocket, isn't it? Uh, others might be concerned about the instability on the stock exchange and your superannuation. Uh, I think everyone, everyone is concerned about the suffering people in the war zones, wherever that may be. You know, there are, I think I've mentioned here before, uh, that there are only 10 countries in the world, and uh, today maybe less. That was a couple of years ago. There are only 10 countries in the world that are not somehow involved in some sort of conflict or peacekeeping forces or, or something like that. Where should we look when we see chaos all around? Well, first of all, we need to remind ourselves that God has not abandoned planet Earth. He has not forgotten about us. Quite the contrary, in Matthew 24, Jesus foretold that all of these things would take place, right? The very things that are happening around us, wars and rumors of wars, pestilences, earthquakes, all of these things, Jesus told us would be happening. Secondly, God has given us his word, which we encourage each of you to read every day, right? So that we can trust. Trust his word and have nothing to fear. The Bible tells us here in Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication give thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace, the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Most of us have... Um, <clears throat> studied various prophecies in the book of Daniel. Would that be true to assume? No? Maybe there's a, a lot of assumed knowledge in today's sermon. <laughs> uh, this apocalyptic book, that is Daniel, has provided hope and comfort for many, for centuries. But particularly, I suppose, when it comes to the latter part and around Daniel 11, we seem to breeze over it and say, well, it's a little bit too difficult, this chapter for me. And so today I'd like to have a little closer look at that particular chapter, as it has so many things that, uh, first of all, confirm the truth and the validity of the, of the prophecies, and also tell us about, you know, things that we are experiencing in our world today. But at the outset, I need to highlight this, that Throughout the trials, throughout the, 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 the difficulties, throughout 
what we call the great controversy between good and evil, we can see Jesus all the way through the book of Daniel. Have a look at this. Whoop, what happened there? There we go. <clears throat> My little gizmo might need to be charged up. We see Daniel, in, in Daniel chapter 2, Jesus there is portrayed as this stone, this rock cut without hands that comes down and fills the earth. And that is at the second coming, right? Daniel chapter 3, he's depicted as the son of God. He's there in the midst of the fiery furnace. <clears throat> in Daniel chapter 7, <clears throat> he's the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Daniel chapter 8, he's the prince of the host and the prince of princes. Daniel chapter 9, he's Messiah, the prince. Daniel chapter 10, he's the man clothed with linen and girded with gold, and he's also Michael, our prince. Daniel chapter 11, he's the prince of the covenant. And Daniel chapter 12, again, he is there as Michael, the great prince and the man clothed with linen. Isn't that amazing? Jesus all the way there through the book of Daniel. And so throughout history and today, we can see that Jesus stands with and for his people. Now, if we do an overview of the visions, uh, the, the prophecies that are in Daniel, we see that there is repetition and expansion. We start with Daniel chapter 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8 and 9. And then Daniel 10 through 12, we, we see that on each of those prophecies, there's both repetition and expansion. And uh, in chapter 11, we have a lot of details. Maybe that's why we skip over it. I don't know. Um, maybe because there's different interpretations. Uh, and uh, in regards to all the different rulers that came after Greece, and also in regards to the aspects of the time of the end that we live in today. But what I want to show here today, and I have, um, I actually have this on one table. For if anyone would like a complete table, I've got a few copies that I can give out after, after today's message. But having a look at the similarities here, you know, we, we're all familiar with Daniel chapter 2, most probably, where we have the, the head of gold is Babylon. Then we have Persia, the silver chest, Greece, the, the bronze belly. And then it goes down to Rome. And I'll, I'll go down there on the next slide. I just couldn't fit it all in on one page here. But then as we go across to Daniel 7, Daniel 8 and 9, Daniel 11 and 12, <clears throat> you'll notice here, you know, God uses different animals and things to represent Persia, etc., the bear and the ram. But then down to Greece, we see these similarities coming out with uh, the leopard that has four wings and four heads. And then in Daniel 8 and 9, we have the goat. And then there is a large horn, and then there are four horns. So we see the repetition of the four. And then again in Daniel 11, we see this repetition of the four. Uh, for Greece, we have, instead of the large horn, we have a mighty king. And instead of the four horns, we have four parts. Do you see that as a similarity? Yeah? So there's a pattern happening here. Now, if we go on to uh, Rome, after, it comes after Greece. Again, you know, God starts with just simple things and he just gives the iron legs. Uh, then in Daniel chapter 7, we move on. Sorry, I, for, I forgot that I didn't have the little lapel mic. 
<laughs> uh, we see that there's the terrible beasts, terribly strong with, with the, the ten horns. Um, and, uh, and then we have in Daniel 8, we have the little horn, which is the first phase because then the, the, the little horn grows, right? And, uh, and we see that the glorious land is mentioned and Messiah the Prince is mentioned there. In Daniel 11 and 12, again, we have this invader, this vile person rather than terribly strong, etc. But also we see repetition of the glorious land. And instead of Messiah, the prince, we have the prince of the covenant. Okay, so here are just some similarities that I'm going through. And then after pagan Rome, we come to papal Rome. Because who took over Rome? When Rome... Basically, nobody came in and invaded Rome, right? When Rome kind of fell apart, the papal power just continued on that power. And that's why, that's why in the very first prophecy, you have the legs of iron, but that iron does what? It continues through the feet, right, with the iron and clay. And so the iron is still there today. It's just in a different form. Does that make sense? And, and so we get to this time of the feet and the, uh, of iron and clay. And in Daniel 7, you have this little horn that comes out from among the ten. It changes times and laws. It's a persecuting power. It, it exalts itself. And there's this time period that's given a time, times and half a time. And look at the similarity as we go across to Daniel 8 and then to Daniel 11. We see the, the change of times and laws. We see there the daily and the abomination daily and abomination we see persecution all across through those three we see self-exaltation right across and we have this time period uh, the um, the prophetic time period given there now we move on to the after papal Rome comes the time of the end and this is the time that we're living in all right this is the time where we're living and again we're still in the time of the feet and the iron and clay uh, but we see there that the Son of Man here is coming with clouds, comes before the Ancient of Days, okay? And we see that uh, the Prince of Princes is mentioned there in Daniel 8, and the time of the end is mentioned. And we see that Michael stands watch, Michael stands up at the time of the end. Michael is just another name. For Jesus, or Messiah the Prince, Prince of Princes, Prince of the Covenant. You know, Jesus has all these different uh, names there in the book of Daniel. And then finally we come to the end of time. So we're not there yet, right? <laughs> the end of time, which is when that stone comes down, smashes the whole image in Daniel chapter 2, fills the whole earth. And in Daniel chapter 7, we see that dominion is taken away uh, from this, uh, this, this horn power, this little horn power, and uh, Jesus sets up his everlasting kingdom. And then in Daniel chapter 9, uh, this, uh, this ruling power here on earth is broken but without human means. And in Daniel chapter 12, we have the ever, uh, resurrection and everlasting life or everlasting shame and contempt. So that's a lot of information, but if you want, I've got all of this on one um, table, okay? I've got about a dozen copies of that for those that are interested. Now, when we look at Daniel chapter 
11. And, you know, I'm not saying that I have all the answers. I'm not saying even that necessarily uh, what I'm saying is 100% correct because there are many interpretations on Daniel chapter 11. And, so, and when it comes to prophecy, particularly things that are unfulfilled, we need to approach with a degree of caution, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, we need to understand the scriptures, read the scriptures and watch to see what's going on in the world. OK, uh, but Daniel chapter 11, there are many details there about various rulers and activities that are additional and complementary to the previous chapters beforehand. However, you know, it's not an exhaustive history book. It doesn't give us all the different rules. And you could think of it as key events that are highlighted. And I've put this picture up because it's a little bit like taking this sort of view. And Daniel chapter 11 has these mountains that come up that it mentions, right? But there's a whole lot of other stuff that's going on beneath the surface. We just can't see it. It's not, you know, like Daniel chapter 11 will, will skip over a whole bunch of different rulers that have been. But certain ones have popped up and they're mentioned in the Bible. And so they, they stand out for us. And so if we look first of all at the... Persian Empire. If you want to open up your Bibles, because we'll be referring to uh, Daniel chapter 11. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 11, and we read there in the second part of verse 2. Um, well, it, it says that, that there will be three more kings arise out of Persia. And then it says the fourth king shall be far richer than them all. And by his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. Um, and uh, scholars, many scholars believe that this was the fourth king was Xerxes. And he was the one that was in power in the book of Esther. Known as, you know, they had multiple names. He's also known as Ahasuerus or Xerxes. Uh, then after that, we get the Greek Empire. And uh, in verses 3 and 4, we read that a mighty king shall arise. And when he has risen, his kingdom shall be what? Broken up and divided towards the four winds of heaven. The mighty king was who? Alexander, right. Uh, and after Alexander, the kingdom was divided into four parts. And uh, the, the generals there, I've listed up there, Cassander had, had the, the west, or the northwest, Lysimachus, the north, Seleucus was a little bit um, kind, of, kind of in the middle and took over, eventually took over the top two. Cassander, Lysimachus was taken over by Seleucus, who became the king of the north, okay? And Ptolemy became the king of the south down in Egypt. And throughout the, uh, the chapter of uh, chapter 11 of the book of Daniel, we have this backwards and forwards between the king of the north and the king of the south. And the king of the north and the king of the south. And that's why probably most people, when they read it, are like, you know what, this is just too confusing. <laughs> um, but certain things pop up, and, and I'm not mentioning all of them here today, but, you know, one um, part that it talks about is how... Uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have gone to that slide. 
But uh, one part that it mentions is, um, if you see in verse 6, in verse 6 it says at the end, uh, sorry, it, we, we see there in verse 6 how, uh, you know, I was reading about how Berenice was the, the daughter of the king of the south. And because there was this argy-bargy going on, you know, everybody wants peace. And even the Europeans have done this over the centuries, haven't they, where they've intermarried, right, to try and cause, uh, bring peace and harmony. And, and what did it do? It led to World War I, right? <laughs> they were all against each other, all these second cousins and, and whatnot. But uh, so Berenice, daughter of the king of the south, is given to the king of the north but there was a problem because the king of the north already had a wife. <laughs> and so the king of the north has to put his wife off to the side to take this new wife from the south. You can imagine that the king of the north wife wasn't too happy. Her name was Laodicea. And so this never ends well. And, and so we read in verse 6 uh, of chapter 11, At the end of some years they shall join forces. For the daughter of the king of the south shall go to the king of the north to make an agreement, but she shall not retain the power of her authority. You see that? So history shows us that Laodicea, the wife that had been put to the side, she eventually poisons her husband. Thanks for coming. <laughs> and, uh, and then also has Berenice and her son murdered. Well, what do you think the South thinks of that? They send up this, you know, princess to, to marry the king, and she ends up dead. So the South comes up and raids the North, and, and then it begins, and the retributions begin. The South comes up and attacks the North. Then later on, when the sons of the North grow up, they get an army, and they go down South. and You know, they're constantly fighting each other, they're these North and the South and so on. But then we get down to verse 16, and uh, this is where the, uh, the scholars believe we come to what is the Roman Empire. Verses 17 and 19, um, uh, the scholars think that this points to Julius Caesar and his relationship with Cleopatra, who came from the south. Cleopatra kind of just, you know, um, trying to, to uh, make things right. With, with Rome, the, as the, the Rome was rising up to power. But eventually, we see there that uh, Julius Caesar is assassinated, and we see that downfall there as well in verses 17 to 19. Verse 20 talks about a ruler that, that imposes taxes, and, uh, and this was done by Caesar Augustus, who came after Julius Caesar. And then verses 21 and 22 talk about the rise of a vile person. And again, the scholars think that this uh, is most likely to be Emperor Tiberius, who murdered many innocent people. But also we see in verse 22 that the Prince of the Covenant, or the Messiah, is broken during this reign. And so it was during the reign of uh, Tiberius that Jesus is crucified. Okay, does that make sense? So you see, you know, it, chapter 11 doesn't give us all the information, but it gives us certain key milestones as we're going along through, through history. Then we come to uh, verses um, 
31 to 39, which we understand is, is, is papal Rome, which came after pagan Rome. And I think it's quite, uh, quite clear here as we compare, you know, as we saw in that chart earlier, the comparison between Daniel 7, Daniel 8 and 9, and then Daniel 11, all these different facets of, uh, of the, uh, the papal power, which, which is referred to as the king of the north now, okay, because they're up the north, okay? And they're also a religious power. The king of the south is known, uh, was down in Egypt, and Egypt was known as one who questioned, you know, who is God? Who is this God? It's like an unbelieving power. So you've got this believing and unbelieving power. Uh, and so if we look at Daniel chapter 11, verses 31 to 39 now, this king of the north, we see in verse 31, and I've mentioned some of these already on that table, that it is defiling uh, the sanctuary. What is that all about? It's, it's talking about the way of salvation. So this power does what? It interferes with God's process of salvation. Does that make sense? It meddles uh, and, and changes things. Uh, it takes away the daily sacrifices. The daily sacrifices, again, were, were all about salvation. It's, it's God's way of salvation. And it brings abomination with, the, uh, with its false doctrines. Verses 32 to 35 talk about it being a persecuting power. Verses 36 to 39, uh, again, uh, reiterates that it's a blasphemous power, that it exalts itself and magnifies itself uh, above everything and even above God. It has no regard for God and it has no regard for women. We need to note also that the book of Revelation refers to this power as Babylon. A power that also was known to come and attack from the north. So I think it's amazing how God has revealed so much detail in these last chapters of the book of Daniel. Some time ago, I, I think it was about five years ago now, <clears throat> um, I was doing a, uh, a sermon here focusing on these last six chapters of, of Daniel. And you're probably thinking, why are you doing it again? <laughs> uh, I'll tell you in a minute. But, uh, you know, today I won't go into so much detail on, on these verses as I did five years ago. But I believe that one key component of understanding of what is happening in this time of the end is that during the time of the dominance of the king of the north, which morphed into uh, the, the papal power, it has become, become a global power now, hasn't it? It's not just some little part over in the Middle East. Uh, it's a global power. It's not merely uh, geographically located in the Middle East. And so as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from Old Testament Israel to the New Testament church, just like Babylon moves from being just a local geographic location, uh, Revelation talks about Babylon being a worldwide spiritual Phenomena, right? 
And so too, God's people have transitioned from just being a local geographic sort of uh, area there in the Middle East to being global, worldwide people who are faithful to God. So we need to remember this as we're, as we're looking at this last part of Daniel chapter 11. So the king of the north and the king of the south then also moved from being just local issues and battles in the Middle East area to being symbolic of global spiritual issues in the time of the end. Does that make sense? And so the king of the south, as I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> an unbelieving power could be that it represents those who don't believe in God. Powers that don't, well, that officially stand for and against God. The king of the north we've established as being, or as having, you know, the, the papal power, the, the Roman power behind it, as the Rome continues down all through the centuries. And, you know, as I was thinking about all of this, as we've seen in these last two weeks, the images emerging from the Ukraine, I was thinking, you know, the potential of an alliance here. I mean, these are neighbouring countries, aren't they? An alliance, a strong alliance potentially between two large communist countries. You've got the first largest country in the world and the third largest country in the world. And um, <clears throat> by landmass, I'm talking about. And, and they're both communist, aren't they? There is the potential for a global conflict, as I mentioned earlier, that has so far been restrained for fear of escalation, whether it be chemical or nuclear warfare or whatever. And so what came to my mind this week um, was Daniel 11, verse 40. That's what actually came to my mind, all right? As I was thinking, what do I preach about this week? This is the verse that came to my mind. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, him being the king of the north. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, with many ships, and he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. So it's important to note that the king of the south is not the only bad guy here, okay? <laughs> Whether it be atheism or communism or whatever other ism that might be against God, these global forces are not the sole, you know, axis of evil as referred to by George W. Bush. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> let's remember that the king of the north is Babylon, according to Revelation, right? And is the major one that it's depicted being against God and against God's people in the end, Right? And this is the one that runs over the king of the south. Then we come to, uh, and so, you know, the king of the north, by the way, does not have a good track record if we look through history. He hasn't got a good track record of being a Mr. Nice Guy. Verse 41 says, He shall enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. The king of the north 
even makes inroads amongst God's people. But those, it says, from Edom, Moab, Ammon escape. Now, these groups don't even exist anymore. So who are they? They must be the ones, I think, referred to in Revelation 18, verses 1 to 4, that there is the call, particularly in verse 4, you know, there's, a, there's an angel comes down from heaven, illuminates the world with his glory, etc. And it talks about Babylon becoming a, a place that has fallen, full of demons, etc., etc. But verse 4 says what? Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins. So I think, you know, these, these uh, groups here that are mentioned, Edom, Moab, etc., Ammon, these were related to Israel. These were related to God's people. And it says here that these shall escape. So these are people that are not yet on board with God's people, with the truth of God, but they will join them in the end. Does that make sense? They will join. They will come on board. And uh, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but since the pandemic, we've, I've seen more people probably than before just kind of walking into our church. People that have been doing their own Bible study during the pandemic or watching various programs um, online or, or whatever it might be. God is moving in the world. Despite, you know, all the trouble that's going on, God is moving because God has people in all the different faiths. Amen? Amen. God has faithful people, but they, their, their eyes just haven't been opened to, to, to the things that, uh, that, you know, that we've been privy to, privileged to know ahead of time. And slowly people are being brought to these understandings. And so the Bible talks about these people escaping from, from the king of the north. Come out of her, my people, is the cry that goes out across the world. But despite Babylon, or the king of the north, seemingly gaining, gaining an upper hand, this power is troubled. It's troubled. Why? If we jump down to verse 44, oh, and I probably need somebody to be down there and, and uh, click my button. Uh, just click the down button there for me, Andrew, if you could. Thank you. You might want to stay there. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so verse 44 says that news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore, he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. Why is this power troubled? Because of God's message. Because of God's people in the time of the end. Because of the imminent coming of Jesus. All right. Who is preaching the imminent coming of Jesus? That's been our message for the last 150 years, right? Jesus is coming back. Get ready. Because, you know, even though this power of the north seemingly has power and dominion, ultimately it will be broken by Jesus in the end when he comes back. And so verse 45, 
says, he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas. Now, in the, in the prophecy, the seas, the waters are where the people are. Okay, And the glorious holy mountain. Clearly, king of the north cannot touch God, right? Uh, but it tries to position itself between the people and between God. And yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. No one will help him. As we look at the final earthly power, a global power, flexing its muscle, its false worship, setting it up between God and, and the people, between the glorious holy mountain and the seas, he shall come to an end and no one will help him. As I look at what's going on in the world today, I wonder, you know, what's going on behind the scenes? Who's really pulling the strings? Next slide. History has shown that the church, that Rome was working behind the scenes even in the 1940s, right? Um, during World War II. It was also working behind the scenes to bring down the Iron Curtain during the 1980s. I know that uh, in, in the country where my parents are from, the whole solidarity movement that uh, you know, rose up to, 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 to help break communism there in that land. You know, it was the church that was driving that at the time. And I think, you know, in my humble opinion, it's pretty naive to think that the churches aren't working today in some way. I was uh, just this week talking to a Russian friend and she told me that many years ago when she lived in Russia, when she was still a little girl, her father told her that one of the Orthodox priests there said, uh, under our cloak, we have a military uniform. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, her dad was kind of um, involved in, in some, uh, I think, KGB type things at the time. You know, they weren't Adventists at that time. And, and so that's what the Orthodox priest told him. And if we think that the Orthodox, even though there was a, the great schism that happened, you know, <laughs> whenever it was, a thousand years ago, if we think that they're not working closely together with Rome, you know, we'd have to, we'd have to be pretty blind. Uh, but, uh, you know, you can see there our... Um, Our, our friend there with not much hair on his head in the middle there amongst them, right? The man that's causing so much havoc in the world today. Next slide. The Roman power today is still the king of the north today. It is Babylon. And it will seek to destroy those who oppose it. And so I guess, you know, the, yes, the Iron Curtain has come down. But not everywhere, has it? The Eastern European countries that were part of that Soviet bloc before, it's come down for them, but it hasn't come across down everywhere. This power wants to rule everywhere. And so as Adventists, we've always understood that Rome is that first beast of Revelation 13, the one on the left there. But after it comes the other beast, the second beast of Revelation, which, which we understand to be driven by the United States and apostate Protestantism. You know, this beast that has a lamb, looks like a lamb, but it speaks like a dragon, right? 
And so these two will unite together, I believe, in the end time uh, and work together as the king of the north. Next slide. This week, I've spoken to some of my relatives in Poland who are, you know, preparing and accepting various refugees that are coming through. And uh, <clears throat> this picture was... was uh, the one on the right actually was published by a friend who lives in Warsaw. He, he, he said he went to the train station, central station. And uh, yeah, he said he, was, he just came back crying. Uh, the one on the left is in, uh, I think, upstairs in one of our churches, you know, put, just putting up a whole lot of people that are coming through there. Um, I've seen various posts and videos, ADRA working in Poland, etc. You know, it breaks your heart to see what people can do to each other in this world. Friends, we don't know exactly how all of this will play out. I don't know. Only God knows. What we do know is that until now, the angels have been holding back the four winds of the earth, according to Revelation 7. The winds being strife, war, etc. And unless God was intervening, people would have caused much more mayhem and war and chaos across the earth, even than what we've seen to date. Next slide. We're seeing that the US and its allies, we see their power to cut off assets. And we've seen that, you know, I, I actually didn't know. I had to Google what an oligarch was a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> And, and I was shocked to find out, you know, there's about a dozen of them that basically rule Russia. I didn't know that. Um, I mean, I knew that it was like a powerful sort of term of, you know, some person that's very rich or whatever. But, yeah. Um, you know, and, and as, as, as the allies, etc., they cut off their assets, etc. We kind of, you know, we cheer them on, right? We're, and hoping, hoping and praying that it may bring an end to this war. But what we're also seeing, friends, is the power that is being exerted on this ability to buy and sell. True? On some of the most powerful people that are around. Uh, and this will eventually be extended, according to Revelation 13, if you want to open up Revelation 13, this will be extended <clears throat> to those who refuse to worship the beast and receive its mark. Revelation 13 here and uh, verses 15 to 17. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So we see this power here today. And friends, if there's any good news, next slide, if there's any good news in all of this, it's that we're nearing the end of the road. Is that good news? Uh, you know, according to Daniel's prophecy, we're nearing the end. And uh, we must be living down in the very toenails of the feet today, right? Of Daniel chapter 2. And we know that Jesus will be triumphant in the end. The very next thing that happens in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, is the soon return of Jesus after this uh, king of the north comes 
through and, and, and does his final deeds. The second advent, the one that we've been proclaiming for years, right? And uh, friends, we know, we can see all around us that there is unjust suffering in the world. But we also know that God will ultimately judge the unjust, the wicked, the corrupt, the greedy. Next slide, in Psalm 37, we read this. Mark the blameless man and observe the upright. For the future of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Friends, next slide. King David was assured of God's salvation and deliverance. He was able to face any enemy. As we look at the early church in the New Testament, they also were assured of salvation and deliverance. And that's what helped them to endure to the end. And they endured all sorts of persecutions and sufferings, didn't they? And friends, today, despite the turmoil in the world, we know and believe that Jesus is our deliverer. He is our saviour. We can face any foe and challenge through faith in Jesus Christ. We live in the times, next slide, that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 24 here, verses 12 to 15. And because, of lawless, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Sometimes we think we read Daniel 11, it's too hard to understand. But Jesus has said, we should try and understand Daniel. And maybe this is the time for us to dig a little deeper and try to understand more of what is going on in our world today. Next slide. My friends, our hope is in Jesus. Yes, the king of the south will attack. And yes, the king of the north will come back and, and uh, will seek to destroy and annihilate many but finally, he will come to an end. Jesus is always victorious in the end. And Bible prophecy has been 100% correct down to our day today. Isn't that true? 100% correct. Because only God knows the end from the beginning. And he tells us that he loves us with a everlasting love. He loves you and me with an everlasting love and so much so, he has sealed your future with the blood of Jesus. Next slide. Friends, will you trust in him? No matter what. Friends, we are a people of hope, aren't we? We're a people of hope. And when it seems that nothing is normal anymore in this world, friends, may our hope, may our anchor, our stronghold remain in Jesus. Last slide. <laughs> Friends, he is our everlasting God. According to Isaiah, he is the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. He never faints or is weary. 
Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 verse 10, He is the living God who is the saviour of all men, especially those who believe. He is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, who is, who was, and who is to come. Amen and hallelujah, right? Maranatha. May he come soon. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Friends, I have a, a book. Actually, we have a few boxes of these books. You can take as many as you like. I have a book here written by Mark Finley, uh, Hope for Troubled Times, How to Thrive in a Shattered World. If you would like a copy of this book, there's a, there's a box out the back there. Uh, just grab a book. If you, if you want to grab more, I can get more. We've got more boxes, okay? How many would, would like more than one of these books? Yeah? More than five? More than ten? Oh, okay, maybe I'll get another box. <laughs> There's 60 in the box, right? And I think, I don't know, there might be 40, 50 of you here today. So, um, friends, you know, today's message... I guess um, was a little more difficult than maybe other times and maybe uh, required some assumed knowledge on, on prophecies, etc. But I think it would be remiss of me not to, not to challenge us in a passage in the Bible that sometimes we just gloss over that I think is so relevant to our time today. And so as you think of these things, remember that God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you that we can come together today to encourage each other. In a world that's gone mad, we look around us and we think, what, what could happen next? Help us not to be too surprised because we know that things will get worse before they get better. Help us to remain firmly anchored and grounded in our faith in you so that we can weather any storm and so that we can be a people of hope that can share hope and encouragement to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was made available by the Wallara Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit wallarachurch.org.
steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. It is safely moored, will the storm withstand, for tis well secured by the Savior's hand. And the cables pass from his heart to mine can defy the blast through strength divine. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. When our eyes behold through the gathering night the city of gold, our harbor bright, we shall anchor fast by the heavenly shore with the storms all past forevermore. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. One in Him sang We Have an Anchor, and up next, Ben Everson will sing The Solid Rock. Blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. His oath is covenant with blood. the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Solid rock I stand, all other ground is 
sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. When the trumpet will trumpet sound, oh may then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the. Solid rock, all of the ground is sinking sand. Hi, I'm Marilyn, the two tip lady who loves to help make your life more simple. Have you ever been alone? Lonely and even scared? One day I stood alone, alone on the platform of a tiny deserted country railway station. Alone, but not lonely. Gently falling rain kept me company. The loud speaker with its canned voice announcing when the next thunderous train would race through kept me company. A lone frog croaking its joy at the unexpected rain kept me company. And my thoughts kept me company. Flooding through my mind were memories from what seems like another lifetime many years ago. We were developing a home out of raw, untouched and magnificent rainforest. We had four-wheel drive problems. So out of the forest that was a long way from anywhere hiked my security. Dear husband was off to get help on foot. Oh no, when would he return? We had no idea. More, oh noes. The forest seemed strangely silent without dear husband. Just three little girls and me. Alone we were, alone. Night fell all too soon. Lonely? Oh yes we were. Showers of sparks from our fire lit up our landscape while we sang songs to bolster our courage. Three little girls and I. We kept heaving more dried leafy branches onto the fire to give bright, brilliant flashes of light in our clearing because the light kept my courage alight. But finally, tired little girls aged nine, seven and two needed sleep. So off we went to our cold, dark tent at the bottom of a trail in the ancient forest, alone. But were we? 
Prayers for divine protection prayed, the girls drifted into trusting sleep. And then it was that I felt really alone, all alone, until, croak, croak, a frog was croaking in our water tank. Oh, such a welcome, comforting sound. All was right in his world and his croaking comforted me. Who'd have dreamed a frog would be a comforting friend on a dark night? I slept fitfully until the girl's pet rooster decided to welcome the dawn long before I could see the daybreak. All was right in our rooster's world and his cock-a-doodle-doing comforted me. Who'd have dreamed that a rooster would be a comforting friend through a long, dark night? It was six days before dear husband was able to return with the needed parts. Six long days and six long nights. But in that time, I learned to love the owls hooting in the night, the frogs croaking and the rooster crowing, all is well, and a kind heavenly father who grew a certain peace in my heart while we waited for the cooey that announced Ken's eagerly awaited return. But that's another story. If you're alone, you can listen for the sounds of nature too, and you will be surprisingly comforted. So my two simple tips today are simple but comforting when we're alone. Tip number one, here it is. Listen for the reassuring sounds of nature. The sun rises and sets, the birds awaken and sleep. Darkness comes, but the stars sparkle and the moon smiles comfortingly. Nature sings, all is well. And tip number two is the most reassuring of all. You'll have to wait for it. Because Jesus said to his disciples, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. So here's tip number two now. When we think we're alone, remember Jesus' words, I am not alone because the Father is with me. And he promises in John 14, verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. In those rainforest days, I proved that to be true. God did too, and so can you. And that's it today from the two-tip lady who loves to help make your life more simple and happy. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.